Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. 1 Samuel 15 today. Another one of these chapters where I just, I, I feel so bad for Saul. And, and it feels, I'm, I feel like I can relate to him. It's like, well, I mean, I, I did the, you know, the spirit of the thing that you were saying. Like, didn't didn't I you know, basically do what it was, like not maybe in every single detail, but, you know, let's not pick nits, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's something that probably a lot of people can relate to. And so you feel really sympathetic for Saul. And what does Samuel say? No, in the end, Saul, you actually have rejected God. And so because of that, he's rejected you. So this, this, is, a, this is a difficult chapter here, but I think it's really instructive. And I think that when we look at the uh, look at this in a little bit of depth. We see that, no, it's not that, you know, because Saul messed up this one tiny uh, technicality or asterisk of, of the divine formula. No, it's it gets deeper than that. Uh, gets deeper, uh, even though we make excuses for, for Saul and really for ourselves. Joining us today, we've got Pastor George Murdoch, pastor at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Douglasville, Georgia. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. How are you doing? Yes. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much. It's good. It's great to have you on, and I just I'm really enjoying all this uh, all the stories here of King Saul in First Samuel mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah, I know that uh, when when you asked me to be on, I I do have an opportunity to choose um, chapters, and uh, when I chose this chapter, um, I was very well aware of the great challenges it holds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can I can relate to that. Like it's uh I I think it's the the chapters that I have the most fun with are the ones I feel like I have the most questions on and the ones that I really have to wrestle with cuz you, you can tell that it's something that well, we wouldn't have such a problem with it if it weren't resonating with part of us, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I, I think, yeah, there, we're going to have some uh, good things to talk about there. Uh, I think there's some fun things, again, getting back to the, the meaning of the names again. I think I was noticing this again, thinking about that, that the difference mm-hmm. between giving the people what they ask for or listening to God. So, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of uh, just layers to this, really good stuff. Uh, so before we uh, turn to the chapter, though, would you, brother, open us up with a prayer? I will. Gracious God, our beloved Father, you have revealed to us your good will through your Son, Jesus Christ, but you've also instructed us by your whole world, your whole word. Uh, it's wisdom from you uh, that can instruct us in every uh, aspect of our lives. We thank you, Father, that you give us uh, your perspective and your uh, look at the world uh, and to give us an opportunity to uh, look into your, the, the deep heart of your will uh, for the whole world. Uh, and we do this oftentimes in difficult situations as we even look at disasters in our own lives and in our own world. And so, Father, we ask you now to give us every wisdom, every portion of the Spirit that we need to flesh out for us our sake and uh, for our communities and for our lives and for our churches uh, the will that you would have for us as we uh, go into this chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. We know your wisdom is there. We know your love is there. And we know that your care for your people is there. We ask you to show us in every verse and every way how we are to measure ourselves, not against ourselves, but against your own good and precious will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
I thank you and appreciate what you were saying as you were guiding us in prayer that that in these difficult times, I feel like the conversation between Saul and Samuel is probably one that's been had several times. <laughs> the mm-hmm. the idea of, well, I mean, no, I mean, we're we're still obeying what God said, right? Uh, you know, like what you're just being really picky and you just you're in just being insistent and an obstinate that it has to be done this way. But no, we're still basically in, uh, obeying the, the heart of what he said. Uh, that, that's probably something that uh, has been, I would say, a lot, you know, in these times when we're trying mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, how we can adapt and, and be flexible and deal with the difficult circumstances. So, yeah, I, I think I think very much uh, it, it, that was a, a helpful a petition to include in the prayer that it's just it's so mm-hmm. tempting to get so self-centered in that respect and just kind of get really defensive and all about well how am i doing in these difficult circumstances which is, which is very just you know inward directed as you were saying mm-hmm. yes exactly and you know it's interesting that um if you take this this whole chapter 15 in the context of the Old Testament, uh, leave it in existence, leave it, leave it in the world in which it is actually operating. Um, yeah. You you get some real insights, and also, um, it, you know, when we think, when we think about, you say, God, you know, uh, God has asked kind of a, a rather outlandish, sounds like an outlandish thing to us. As we get in text, we'll see it's not quite that outlandish, but uh, he yeah. asks these things of us, and then we hesitate. But I mean, look at the prophets. He goes and tells Hosea, marry Gomer. He goes and tells Ezekiel, go bury your underwear, knock a hole in your house. The things that the prophets are told that they do, he tells them to lay on your side for so many days and roll over and lay on your other side for so many days. And yet they obey him. As ridiculous as these things sound to the world and seem ridiculous, they obeyed him to the letter. And and God's will was worked through that. And I think sometimes we find it difficult sometimes to really carry on our Christian calling or our, our Christian life and say, well, you know, I, I can go this far, but I'm not going to go that far, when we may be very well compelled by the Spirit to take that next step, uh, but hesitate. So there's some instruction here for us, I think. Yeah, I, it reminds me what you were just saying about how we just so often— say like, well, well, it, it just seems so reasonable, though. Like, how, how could God have a problem with that, right? It reminds me of what we were talking okay. about back in First Samuel chapter 8, where it was very much the mm-hmm. same sort of thing that, in many ways, the Israelites' request seemed reasonable. You know, there were lots of good reasons. And, and I think you're mm-hmm. right that um, we should say it is reasonable in the sense—I mean, even the things that Saul's saying in this chapter, they're reasonable in, in the sense that they're not outlandish, right? They're not, not crazy mm-hmm. and off the wall. But just as you were saying— right. um, that's that's not the point, though, because sometimes, well, I mean, just like what Paul says, right? Like the things of God seem crazy and outlandish to, mm-hmm. to the world, um, and, and then the things that seem totally reasonable actually are foolish to God very often. So mm-hmm. it's a helpful uh, comparison, like you were saying, that goes all over the scriptures up to the—I mean, in the local context here of chapter 8 and also uh, all the way up to Paul. So um, mm-hmm. speaking of context, anything else from context that you want to call out now before we read the chapter— um, anything maybe, because I mean, there is some foreshadowing, I think, and also there's some strands that are getting picked up from previous chapters, especially about uh, the Lord rejecting Saul. So any, any kind of context stuff you want to mention? Well, the, the, the main kind of context I'd like to, to, to mention here is that 
Saul is king because God appointed him king. Saul right. is not king because he was the tallest guy in the tribe of Benjamin. That's not why. Hmm. Not because he was hmm. the most impressive guy in the tribe of Benjamin. He was chosen because God chose him, because yeah. he did have the leadership skills that were needed. But he also, if you think of his early life, the early life of Saul, he was dependable. He was not afraid to do what needed to be done. He uh, yeah. was. He could prophesy with the prophets. Um, mm-hmm. He was willing to be moved by the Spirit. Uh, those yep. are kinds of things, the gifts that he had. But in this chapter, and there's several things, and we'll point them out. In this chapter, Saul begins to start believing his own press. And if yeah. you find, if you notice, it is really from this point on, until actually the death of Saul, that this man has really move further and further away from understanding that he's God's representative for the people. He's one of those one of those shepherds uh, that Ezekiel talks about, supposed to not fleece the flock, to live for the flock and die for the flock. And he forgets this, and he begins to think only of himself, even to the point of trying to kill David, uh, even to the point yeah. of disowning his son, his son Jonathan. It's incredible how far he falls, and it starts here. That fall is now starting, I think, here in 15. And that's, yeah, I, I think that's, well, and, we'll, and we'll see this, you know, this is setting us up for a lot of things to come. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead, without any further ado, and go ahead and read the chapter through. So this is First Samuel chapter 15 in the English Standard Version. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of the hosts, Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now, go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both men and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction— The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all that night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this 
bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours, who is better than you. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's a heavy chapter. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the dialogue, I think, is really gripping here. And it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating because I think, I think it gets at, you know, what, what Saul like how Saul is really looking at things. Um, and, and then what, what Samuel then 
is really trying to maintain here. I mean, because it, it says he's, he's angry, right? It says that, right? Um, right. And, and you can hear it in his words. But there, there at the end, right? It says, you know, but Samuel grieved over Saul. Like he, he didn't want to see. And this, this is this is important. It gets back to stuff we talked about yet last time. Um, he didn't want to see Saul fail. God and Samuel were not setting Saul up to fail. They, they, when it says the Lord regretted this, you know, it's, he's, he's grieving that this happened. Like Saul and his prop as, or God and his prophet Samuel are, are grieving over this whole thing. Um, so right. in, in the end, n- nobody's happy here. Um, it's, no. it's, it is mm-hmm. tragic in that sense. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's interesting if you look upon this, um, this chapter, um, the, the chapter really, I mean, if you take a look at Saul, and um, Saul is one of those tragic characters in the Bible. You know, if you take a look at literature all over all over antiquity, there's always tragic characters, and and Saul was one of those for us in the um, in the Bible in the history of of Israel. He's a tragic figure because actually, in this um, account that we just read, Saul never really completely lies. Okay, mm. he he's he's full of half lies. It's all half yeah. truth. It's never it's never lies, right? So what does he say? He says, "I've done the commandment of the Lord." Okay, right. well that's a half truth because he's left Hagag uh, Agag alive, and right. as far as we know, his wife and children are left alive too. So it, it, we know that from history. But uh, that's number one. Number two, so it's a half truth. He has destroyed the people of that particular. Uh, Amalekite uh, uh, city. By the way, this was not genocide. I'm always perturbed when I hear secular historians talk about how uh, the Lord, with capital letters, that is Yahweh, how he ordered genocide. He never ordered genocide, okay? (laughs) So uh, uh, the idea of that is ridiculous. So, uh, but uh, we know that because the Amalekites appear even at the time of David later on. Right. And so they appear all through the history of Israel. But the point is, so uh, he did do, he did half of it. He didn't, and he killed, killed half the animals. So in a sense, he did keep the command, partially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then when he's asked about that, he gives another partial truth. It's a partial truth. It's a truth, but a partial one. And yeah. that is that he's saving all the best. For the for the sacrifices that those are right. going to be offered now for as as sacrifices to the Lord. Well, the Lord was to receive his sacrifice at that Amalekite city, but he's decided to to get to that. So he's telling another half truth, but making it sound like he's still doing God's work. Now we know right. that's a half truth because later he talks about how oh the, the men kept the best; they kept the best. Right so that they could offer sacrifices to the Lord. That's a half-truth also. Obviously, when armies go in and take over a city and stuff like that, obviously there's booty. That's one of the things. You see that all through the campaigns right. of David. So they take that. That's their, that's their pay. That's how they get paid right. for what they're doing. And so when he says they have kept the best uh, so that they can offer sacrifices, that's a half-truth. Because part of that has to be tithed to the Lord. So the right. tithe of that will go to the Lord as sacrifices. So it's another half-truth that he gives. And then this is, this is the kind of thing he's obfuscating over and over again through this passage. 
And brothers and sisters, that is, you, you can't deal with the Lord that way. He knows the heart. We can't partially do what the Lord has asked us to do and think we carry out his will. Uh, when he asks of, when he asks all of us of us, we give him all of ourselves. So uh, I think that, you know, we, we find that, we find this a practice I mean, among so many people who want to, uh, to uh, rejoice that they're somehow in the will of God and all that sort of thing, when in fact when they really do some conscience seeking, are they indeed? Uh, or are they just uh, giving what is either acceptable in society or uh, what is acceptable by the uh, rules of, of, of civilization or whatever, uh, yeah. rather than really listening to the Lord? So you see him, you see him, and then he, he's literally pleading with Saul that yeah. he allow him to go down. Why? Not because he is so concerned about getting right with God again, but because if he does not go with the obviously the designated prophet of Israel at that time, his men and the other forces from Judah will lose faith in him. Yep. So he's got to be able to solidify his kingdom through the prophetic uh, uh, ministry of the prophet Yahweh. And he has to do that to keep his position as the king of Israel. So everything he's doing is about him, even though he's trying to make it about God, even to the point of setting up a monument to himself at Gilgal. Uh, uh, he sets yeah. up a monument to himself, not to Yahweh for the victory, but to himself. So... Yeah, uh, and, and I like. Man. Yeah, well, and, and we should talk more about that too. About because we, we've, we've spoken a little bit about that in the previous chapters about, you know, to what extent is is Saul uh, tragic, um, and, and the, the different senses because there's different you know ways of of framing that. But I, I was reminded of something you said earlier, which is that Saul's believing his own press. I, I, I liked mm -hmm. that way of putting it because I, I think that what 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 I think Saul is showing here. I feel like what these half truths, like you were saying, I, I think it shows that on a certain level, he's, he, he's not even just like lying or half lying to Samuel, but he's really lied to himself and he's believed right. his own lie. And, and like you were saying, I, I think this is, is part of the problem that makes it so difficult that we, you know, we, we do the, these things and we're confronted, you know, whether it's by a family member or a pastor or mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, we're reading through scriptures and, and, and something strikes us. Right. And our reaction is, well, hang on, don't be unreasonable here, right? Because, mm -hmm. and I think on a certain level, we, we probably really do think, because we've convinced ourselves that, that we did the right thing. We did obey mm -hmm. the voice mm -hmm. of the Lord. We really are mm -hmm. on the up and up. Um, mm -hmm. the, the problem then becomes more fundamental, like you were saying, and it only becomes apparent through some really difficult, like you were saying, conscience-seeking, where we figure out, Oh, like I've I've been lying to myself, and like I I actually you know way back when when I kind of first started this lie, it was you know because of these insecurities, and I think that's what you're getting at here, and I think that's spot sure. on. Mm -hmm. that, that, that this this is the thing really that that's that's featured very prominently here. Saul is insecure, and and because of this insecurity here, um, he's he's lied to himself, and he's lying to Samuel, and he's. Uh, trying to lie to everybody, really, in the end. But it, it all started with that insecurity of, of lying to himself. So mm -hmm. really, some really big themes here that I think you're drawing out for us. 
to kind of tie this this big chapter together with all of its uh, twists and turns here. But uh, it's about time for our break. So we'll, we'll get into the, some of the details when we get back, everybody. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15 today, joined by our guest, Pastor George Murdaugh, pastor at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Douglasville, Georgia. If you've got a question for us and you're listening live, join the conversation, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Just got some email questions over the break um, to summarize them briefly. Basically, kind of just looking at okay, what's what's within the rights of the king really? Well, what does Saul have the right and the authority to do? What discretion does he have? Um, and then on the other side, you know, what what really is the 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 I guess the the line really when it comes to Samuel's own authority uh, in this whole situation? So we're trying to balance this and looking at it in terms of really who has the right, who has the power. It's a good question. Um, I think it gets at some some big themes. You can also hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Uh, got some questions there, uh, kind of talking about the, well, is, is this like a victory parade? Why why does he spare um, Amalek? And, uh, and then <laughs> another question about, uh, the hacking to pieces, man. We'll probably have to talk about that. I mean, there is. I mean, this is a this is a heavy chapter in terms of the uh, the gruesomeness of it. So we should, you know, there's a couple things for us to be talking about. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word, everybody at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. So, yeah, I think before the break, brother, we were kind of looking at the big themes, um, you know, insecurities, lying to the self, half-truths. Um, so I, I think I think this is good, and I think we've found lots of ways that we can uh, kind of relate and see ourselves in this chapter. Let's kind of turn back now and look at some of the specifics. Certainly won't have time to look at all of them, but uh, so just turning to the beginning, the first part of the chapter, there, you know, there's this confrontation— uh, well, it's not, not the confrontation yet, um, but there there is the, the command, rather. Um, and, and the command is, hey, uh, you know, I've never forgotten what Amalek did to Israel, and now it's time to make things right. And, and you mentioned earlier that this is not a command to genocide, but the, the command is very sweeping. And, I mean, it is disturbing. Um, kill both men and women, child and infant, oxen, sheep— 
camel and donkey. So what is going on here with this command to devote to destruction Amalek and all that they have? Uh, yeah, again, I, I want to put it in the context of um, 10th century B.C. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is outlandish to us. Now, even as I say that, even as I say that is outlandish, yeah. nobody is crying or standing up in the United Nations or doing anything about the slaughter of Christians in East Africa. Okay? Nobody's doing that. So the, we, we have in our world today, no matter how much, how much righteousness we want to claim over against what's going on here in the 10th century B.C., all right, we still mm-hmm. today suffer from these same things, okay? Yeah. So I just want to make that clear. Coming to understand this, yeah. uh, the, the idea here is um, there was a law of vendetta. The law of vendetta was very, very, very strong in the 10th century B.C., and even up into the, obviously, up into modern times, but it is very strong here uh, nationalistically, so mm-hmm. that um, if you destroy the people, their children will rise up to destroy you. It's that, it's that simple. I mean, it happened. So uh, you don't allow anybody to rise up and, and destroy you. And, uh, and that is how it was prosecuted. That's how it was, it was, you know, prosecuted by all of the nations that were in existence at that time. Uh, and and so um, when when Yahweh is asking for this, he is asking for uh, uh, the the judgment on on Amalek for what they did, as recorded in, De- in Deuteronomy 25, um, and also as recorded in uh, the Exodus event when Amalek attacked. I don't know if it was in Exodus, but uh, I was referenced in Deuteronomy when Amalek attacked oh. uh, uh, Israel out of Egypt. Uh, yeah. It's mentioned in the 25th chapter of Deuteronomy. So, um, uh, yes, the, the, there was, it's called the ban, put it, put them under the ban. Uh, we know that when when uh, uh, Joshua entered the city, uh, God destroyed uh, Jericho. Uh, they didn't have to raise an arm for it. All they did was march around it and shout. And, uh, and the only ones we know that were rescued from that was Rahab and the family uh, because yeah. she— uh, she accepted the Lord, basically, by hiding the spies. So um, this is a, it's a difficult thing for modern man to wrap their mind around. But um, you, you really have to keep it in the, in the 10th century B.C., and you have to also understand that this, this very same kind of thing was carried out in pre-modern and post-modern times, by, or modern times, by, um, by um, Napoleon, uh, by uh, the Nazi regime. So mm-hmm. it's not like this, this ended there. And we realize that these were great atrocities. And it, and it is, in fact, our Christian roots that, that, that compel us to, to rifle against these kinds of atrocities, right? So, um, but in this context, I think that's where we have to leave it and whatever conundrums it may bring to our mind, it, the one that we have to, I mean, the one thing we have to launch on is that the gospel is a weapon of the spirit, not of the flesh. We're not going to conquer as Christians. We conquer with Christ and the peace of Christ, the shalom of Christ. You know, when he sent out the 72 disciples, he said, you enter a house, you enter a village, you say shalom to this village, 
Jesus is coming to this village. If they accept it, they accept it. If not, don't call down lightning like uh, James right. and John wanted to do on the Samaritan city. No, leave that city and go to the next one. We now have the weapons of the Spirit, not the flesh. And that's how we pull down strongholds. So this is not us. <laughs> In a sense, I want to say this is not our commission. Uh, this yeah. was uh, uh, Saul's commission. That's that's well said on a difficult topic there. Um, I mean, I think that overall your point's well taken, that we really cannot— um, we can really cannot overestimate just the difference between our own circumstances and and theirs. Um, I, I think you're right that the the brutality and the really the, the callousness of the heart of man is demonstrated uh, today in, in the way that we are apathetic to these sorts of things that still happen even today. But as you were saying, is there's a big, big difference between modern genocide where. You know, we're going to wipe out this this group because of their you know, skin color or because they don't speak the right language or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, when 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 in reality, I, I mean, th- that that bad blood uh, mass destruction is is in, in many ways unnecessary in the modern era versus mm-hmm. like you sure. were saying in the 10th century B.C. where. I, I mean, it's it is really you, you got to put yourself in the in the sandals of the Israelites, right? And, and you mm-hmm. met, you referenced um, Deuteronomy twenty five uh, and mm-hmm. how the Lord says, "Remember what Amalek well, through Moses, uh, what Amalek did to you on the way as you came up out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, and cut off your tail those who were lagging behind you, and you did not fear God." So, I mean, I, I feel like that text is pointing to real brutality on the part of the Amalekites that you know they're. Israel's just passing through, um, mm-hmm. and and here they are, you know, weak and weary with you know women and children and all the rest, and basically all the people who couldn't run fast enough. The Amalekites are slaughtering. I, I mean, th- that that kind of unprovoked brutality, right? Like if that's how the Amalekites are gonna are gonna behave, that they're just gonna kill the weak indiscriminately, unprovoked. I, I mean, it, yeah, this is this is it is it is completely tragic that it would come to this, God's judgment, but you can understand, you know, maybe we can understand a little bit, like you were saying, um, understanding that kind of situation, the Amalekites did need to go, uh, because mm-hmm. that's what they were doing. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think that you contextualizing it uh, does, a, does a lot, though, like you were saying, I mean, just mm-hmm. just because of the big distance, it's going to be hard for us to appreciate. Um, so I, I think then, so you get the, the actual uh, battle, um, I think Saul shows that he is really trying to stick to the command, right? He, like, says to the Kenites, right, by contrast, hey, get out of here. My command's to kill the Amalekites, so, you know, I don't—so, I mean, that, that's showing restraint on Saul's part, that he's not just going to, like, wipe out everybody. Um, so, I mean, it shows re- restraint, it shows discretion, uh, mercy, and a, 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 what mm-hmm. seems to be, like, a real attempt at obeying uh, God. But then mm-hmm. it says, right, that he takes— Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and they spare the the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fattened calves. So th- this is the big, this is the big thing that then causes mm-hmm. in verse ten. I regret that I've made Saul king. So what? What? Why mm-hmm. is Saul doing this? And what? What's really ultimately so bad about it? Uh, well, what he's what he's doing is this man God. Uh, so that's that's what's bad about it. He's disobeying God, but uh, uh, I think that um, again uh, he has uh, 
he is prosecuting, in a sense, a war. He's prosecuting a, a, an engagement um, along the lines of uh, what is known in those days. Uh, and, uh, you know, we may uh, cut him some slack and say, may, you know, he's just following the, the rules of engagement of those days. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and that's all that he could really be accused of. Uh, that would be fine unless he was given exact orders what to do in verse 3, okay? So um, he was given very specific things what he was to do. And um, so, yes, I, I think that's the difference. Um, he's, he's by, by keeping the king, the king is a trophy. Uh, and this has been yeah. since, since uh, in times of antiquity, the king is a trophy. Yeah. And he's taking him as a trophy, and he wasn't supposed to. It's no different from... When uh, Jericho fell, uh, that uh, was it. Aiken, who was it that took a, a robe and some a jewelry or something yep, and hid it in his right. tent? It's no different from that. Um, this it was to be uh, to construction, a destruction. And and there's a there's a the object lesson behind it is God is the provision of Israel. God is God will always be the provision. Uh, and this is exactly what Samuel means later when he says that he wants obedience, not sacrifice. Um, the obedience to God is the most important thing to obey God because his will is perfect. Our will is not perfect. He knows the beginning from the end. Um, he knows that there's going to be a Haman later on. If, if, if things are not carried out the way they should be, there's going to be a Haman later on that will uh, try to convince the king of Persia that he has to completely annihilate the Jews. Uh, we don't know that. Uh, Saul doesn't know that, but God knows that. We know it because we've read the book. But, yeah. Um, so the thing is, we let God be God, and we let the Lord be the Lord, and, and, and we, we, uh, we follow him uh, to the best we can. And if we can't, then we take it to the Lord. We don't just do what we think is best, then we take it to the Lord. You know, it's like Gideon. He said, I'll put the fleece out now if, if this is really what you want me to do. And then mm-hmm. the next day, it's the, way, it's the way he wants it. He said, one more time, Lord, let me put it out again. And, uh, and so we test, we test if we have to, but ultimately we have to follow the Lord. And I like using the example of Gideon because the first man that, that they wanted to make king was Gideon. Yeah. And Gideon wouldn't do it. Gideon understood that God was king, that Yahweh was king, and that he, and he would not take the crown when it was offered to him. Yeah. I, I think that is a good, a good analogy, and I mean, it really just shows you— the difference in the priorities, and 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 I think it's it's uh, the priorities, right? That that mm-hmm. we're, that we're really getting at. This is not mm-hmm. like Saul messed up because like oh Saul, like you didn't listen to the the fine print in the in the contract and in, in, in the terms here. You know, you, you messed up this one little like aspect. Um, no, it, it's that. I mean, like I, I think what you said was totally fair. You know, what what's so bad is I disobeyed God. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, that, that's completely mm-hmm. fair. Um, I, I think that to kind of expand on it, I, I mean, really, I mean, even when he was obeying God, right? Like what, what's, what this is all re- revealing here is that his heart was not really obeying God at all. That as you were saying, what, what he was doing was, I mean, he was going and getting trophies, right? I mean, to have, okay. to have the enemy King, right. And, and to have him and, and sometimes in the ancient world, right. They would, um, mutilate these prisoners to a certain extent think of uh think of samson 
right? Who was like a tribal chieftain and what they gouged out his eyes and they, they had him in, in, a, in a cage on display, right? I mean, they, they, they mm-hmm. did this. Exactly. And so that's what he's doing here. And, and I think that really something that, along those lines in the image of, uh, of, of Samson, like mutilated as a trophy, I, I think that that actually shows, yes, it's bad that he disobeyed God, but what, what he did is really cruel, actually, to, to go in and to just have this mass slaughter of men, women, and children, and animals, right? But you're not actually going to wipe out the people as a whole, right? I mean, this to me then feels like the difference between someone, uh, you know, kills a person, uh, an intruder, in self-defense mm-hmm. with one blow, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's for it's for their own protection. They're 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 scared for their family, right? And they just they, mm-hmm. they do it that they they don't want to do it, but they they give them a quick death and lives have been saved versus the person who goes and beats the man within an inch of his life and and just you know like leaves him there to to suffer mm-hmm. and it's just a difference of well see Saul because you did it this way it's like all of that all that severe and just tragic killing it was for nothing because mm-hmm. you you still went and you left this remnant that's now just going to want to have their revenge exacted later, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a, a certain kind of callous cruelty in in in, in like wiping out ninety five percent of this people, right? Um, when, when the whole point was was God was, you know, protecting His people. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, it is true. It is true. And uh, again, I, I can't emphasize enough. Let's keep it where it is, and uh, and realize that that we're still people of the gospel. Verse yeah. 10 is, is one that I think that people need to, to think about, too, um, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, we're told in Scripture, God is not a man that he should change his mind. Yeah. And, uh, and, so, and yet it says, I regret. It says, I got a word from the Lord, Samuel says, I regret that I've made Saul king. Yeah. Now, that word regret is a very important word. Uh, that's a very important word. It is not, that word is not to mean that, that, he made a mistake in making him king. Uh, it's very important that word, both in Hebrew and, and, and in the uh, uh, Septuagint, uh, the Greek translation, is more of the fact that uh, it's regrettable that he has been made king, in the sense that we're free agents under God. You know, God gives us a God gives us a a, 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 a if you will, as as Jesus said, a narrow way to walk, and we're to walk that way, and um, we, we have a will. We don't have to walk that way. We can get off that path, get on the broad one. You know, we have a will to do ourselves, and God made us that way. And um, and so, uh, it, it, see, God's plan was that Saul would be king and be a good king. Saul has gone off that plan, and that's regrettable. And we know that the spirit can be grieved. It's more of a grieved thing, that God was grieved that Saul has gone off the, off the rail. Yeah. Uh, and and so um, he, he, you know, that he's turned back from following me is what the text says. And so uh, we can understand that Paul talks about how we grieve the spirit uh, if we uh, disobey and if we uh, act rebelliously or idol- uh, idolatrously. Uh, and so uh, the idea that God, uh, uh, if God can love at, at the at the level that He loves to send His Son into the world. And that's a God who can be grieved by a lack of love. Yeah, I, I think that, that that was something that stood out to me too. The word regret there, um, 
and also the grieving too. And I think that that, as you were saying, helps us understand it. Because at the end of the chapter, we have Samuel who said to grieve for Saul, which I think is kind of helping us, uh, as you were saying, understand what, what's made by regret. Because it's regret in the sense of, oh wow, I, you know, what happened is regrettable, right? Like mm-hmm. in the in the exactly. sense of you know, like that, that's it's terrible how it's turned out, right? Um, but not right. as in like you were saying, like he he made a mistake, and it was interesting too. There was another um, comment there in the middle of the text in verse twenty nine said, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not mm-hmm. a man that he should have regret, right? Exactly. So like I, I think, mm-hmm. and it's the same, it's the same word there, the same root, and I and I think it's just getting at the different senses here, right? It's like God's not going to have regrets in the sense of he's not going to uh, do something and just leave mm-hmm. it a mess, right? Like, mm-hmm. wh- which is what we do, which is what, which is what mm-hmm. people do, right? Like, we, we mm-hmm. mess up, we can't do anything about it, right? And, and so we just, it's like, you know, we've, we, people, like people say, you know, you've, we've made our bed, right? Um, mm-hmm. God's mm-hmm. not going to do that. God's not going to mm-hmm. uh, do something, it turns out poorly, and he's just going to say, well, you know, what, what, what can you do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, so, so I, I think... I think the point there being that, look, uh, you, you've, I mean, in some ways you, you've embarrassed God, right? You, you've, you've mocked the name of God with what mm-hmm. you've done. You've grieved mm-hmm. God and he's not just going to let this stand. He's not just going to have the Messiah, his chosen Messiah go around doing this. So he's, yeah, he's taken the kingdom away from you that he's not going to have this, this scandal, this, this mm-hmm. embarrassment, this, um, I mean, really just, uh, this really lamentable, situation just go on so yeah i I think i think it helps to kind of see that the two different senses of regret right here that really take it back i mean i mean just all the way back to the beginning where whether whether it's either god uh you know in genesis genesis chapter six regretting uh making man right Mm -hmm. or even more fundamentally the idea of he makes man right and it turns into this big disaster with sin but just like the uh, early church fathers said, God wasn't going to just let that stand and just say, well, humanity decided to choose the way of death, and I'm just going to—that well, th- was their choice. They have free will. I'm just going to let it be that way. No, mm-hmm. he is not a man that he should have regret, and so he did something about it in his son, Jesus Christ. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. What a great way to put that together. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I think that seeing it in that light, that God is doing something about this mess. Mm-hmm. He's not just going to let mm-hmm. injustice and uh, the, the scandal stand. He's going to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Connect dots a little bit for us then, because in the previous chapter, right, Saul, he sinned uh, with this rash vow, uh, you know, very, uh, very, uh, prominent theme, I think. I think throughout the scriptures, rash, rash vows and commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so he he does this, and it, we we see in the text that it's it's because of this at the end that Samuel even then, right on, at that occasion, says to Saul, you know, uh, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna stand. Like we're gonna find a, a better man than you, uh, one after God's own heart. So what's the, what's the connection then between between that incident and this one? Because it. I mean, this one kind of makes it seem like this is when God decided to, to end the reign of Saul, but earlier it seems like it was kind of already what God had resolved to do. 
Well, I mean, uh, again, as I say, uh, um, you know, even even in the days of Jesus, said he looked on men's hearts. You know, he looked on men's hearts, and, and obviously, God looks on men's hearts. And um, and uh, again, I think that I think um, I think the way I uh, like to put it this way is Saul was the king that the people wanted. Uh, David is the king that nobody wanted. Um, if you think about that, except God, hmm. he goes to Jesse's house. He puts all these fantastic, brave sons in front of him, in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, don't you have any more boys than this? He goes gets a 12-year-old boy and brings him in there and anoints him king. Yeah. And that, that was the king that God wanted. And, uh, and, and I, I think we need to tie, I think we need to tie Saul to the thing that to that idea of the king the people wanted. And I think yeah. that Saul was influenced by that. Saul was influenced by this is a king the people want. Um mm-hmm. and uh and and whereas David is simply trying to serve the Lord, this young man goes to the battle against uh, against Goliath and he's standing around saying, Why aren't we fighting against these people? I mean, he right. is so sold out to the Lord, you know. I mean, he's the guy who says if a sheep gets taken, I go and grab the bear and I grab the lion, I get the sheep back. And right. he says I strike him. And this is this is the this is the one that God has appointed, David, the man after my own heart. Uh, the word David in Hebrew means my beloved son, my beloved. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a different kind of attitude here. Saul is the one that the people wanted, and Saul bought that. I think. I think. Uh, uh, brother, that's that's what happened. He bought that, and and we begin to see that early on. Did God not see that? No, I think He did. But that's an object lesson for Israel. You wanted a king, here he is. You know, and and that's yeah. a bit of a of a of an object lesson too. Before we get out yeah. of here, I think for everybody yeah. ought to memorize <laughs> a great scripture to memorize. If you want to memorize the scripture in the Old Testament? Is chapter fifteen of First Samuel, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. I was just going uh, those there. Are, those yep. are scriptures to live by. Those are scriptures yeah. to live by. Yeah. You can't bar. Don't bargain with God. I mean, um, I often tell people, I say, when you stand before the judgment seat of God, what do you? What trophies are you going to bring along? I mean, we're going to point to and say, look at what I did. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, look at what I sacrificed. Look what I gave up. You know, no, no. It's it's all that I obey the voice of the Lord. Was I obedient? My name is in the book of life because I was obedient to the entity as much as in me lay to do that. I did it right, and so um, and, and then he says, "Rebellion is as divination." All right, what is divination? Divination is trying to be God by figuring out figuring out in yourself what God is doing or what God wants yeah. instead of just listening to His word and obeying it. Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Well, how presumptuous was Saul to set up that monument to himself, right? I mean, we what kind of monuments are we building to ourselves in this world? We need to talk about that. That's like idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, what? That's You're not in the book. You're not in the word. You're not in the word of God daily to find out just exactly where is God leading me. He has also rejected you to be king. So I, I, these are fantastic scriptures to live by here in, in the yeah. Old Testament. And, um, yeah, I, and I— I, and I, and I that, that... 
Yeah, I was going to say that that really caught my eye too, just the way it talks about because because it's the word there, right? The the listening, and then it's uh, tr- it's translated in the second part as obeying, but it's it's the same mm-hmm. thing, listening again. Um, it's the mm-hmm. word that sounds a lot like Samuel's name, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, exactly. the, 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 the Shema, like listen. And that's, and that's the big thing, right? Listen, listen, listen. That's, that's what, that's better than, you know, like, oh, well, I had this idea, like we were going to, you know, just do the sacrifice. Right. And it's so fascinating to me too, how, how he, doesn't he keep saying again and again to Samuel, well, the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God. So, I mean, I think it's all doing that. It's like saying like, well, why are you Samuel making this big deal? out of right. it and Samuel's saying like no 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 it's, it's not about my name Samuel it's about it, it's about the uh, shamaing it's about listening to God that's yeah, to, the point so God, I mean I, I think I think it's a it's a profound uh it's a profound uh, juxtaposition like you were saying he makes it all about uh giving the people what they want which was the original mm-hmm. problem with Saul anyway because that was mm-hmm. Sam, Samuel being commanded to give the people what they want what they asked for what his name well, even that means. And so, you know, just thanks be to God that in the end, he doesn't give us what we ask for, because we're, we're really asking for mm-hmm. our own damnation. But like mm-hmm. we were saying, mm-hmm. uh, because he is for his own name's sake, not one like a man to have regrets, he has come in his son, Jesus Christ, to right the wrongs that we have made, and so that we would not uh, lay in the bed that we've made, but in his rest through Christ. So... Thank you so much, brother. You really unpacked a lot of big stuff for us today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Love the conversation and looking forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you, brother. God bless you. God bless. Everybody, that was Pastor George Murdoch, Pastor at Prince of Peace in Douglasville, Georgia. We're going to take a look at a psalm next time that's connected to... Uh, chapter, a couple chapters in First Samuel. So this would be really cool. Monday we'll look at that. Uh, Psalm 57. Till then, Pastor H.A. Espinosa. Peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.